Hey guys, and welcome back to another solo podcast. I would like to first start off this podcast episode with a ginormous uh, reach out of thanks for the amount of support that this has been getting. Uh, Truly and honestly, it's starting to blow me away a little bit. How many people want to listen to me for an hour, um, ramble away about topics. I absolutely love making these. Um, And I just want to keep them coming for you guys on a consistent basis and make them better and better. Um, I discovered sort of the audio, potentially on the YouTube version of these. It's a little quiet, so I'm going to turn that up a notch this week. Hopefully that's better for some of you guys listening whilst you're doing cardio on the treadmill or outside where the noise is somewhat disrupted. Um, But let's crack into things um, and just keep sharing these away. Keep posting on your IG stories. Uh, Keep liking away on YouTube and and commenting as to whether there's anything you want to see and I'll continue to improve on my end. So a little bit of an update on me as we always talk about. So my week has been like crazy, (laughs) crazy, crazy, crazy. So probably one of the the most biggest weekends of my life with regards to coaching over the previous weekend with the Ultimate Coaching Seminar taking its first inaugural event at Ultimate Fitness with Stephen Pascal. Uh, it was so nice to just spend a weekend with like-minded people um, and ultimately have a very successful seminar. So that went superbly well. We had 50 people come down, all of which were looking to build their online business. Um, some of them transitioning from one-to-one PT, uh, some of them transitioning from uh, like literally getting into the, the first stages of building their online businesses. And, and we talked uh, for uh, 10 till 4 p.m., with a few breaks in between, and uh, me, Steve, and Pascal are all absolutely knackered from it because we're all quite stressed out. Um, just, just not, not because we we're like necessarily worried. We were, we were just a little bit like nervous. I think we we're all quite nervous as to how it was going to go, what people were going to think of our specific talks, and uh, just really like awaiting opinions. Um, and as soon as we got done speaking, people were coming up to us saying can't wait for the next one like this was awesome well done great job and man i felt an overwhelming amount of emotion from that day so amazing and uh i cannot wait for the next one um and then the week of training so far sort of getting back into things obviously after my four-day deload has been really really productive so pulling a an all-time pb on deadlifts uh, and then managing to like really really badly bruise my quad uh, by stupidly chucking the bar down and instead of chucking it to the floor, it sort of hit my leg. <laughs> so I like severed my quad quite quite badly, but it's it's recovering, it's fine. I can I can just about walk on it pain-free now. So it's not the quad that's injured, it's just a, a really ginormous bruise on my quad that's pretty pretty black and blue. Um but there's no like there's no pain when I squat or anything like that. It's certainly just a, a, a bruise as opposed to any muscle damage, which I'm very lucky about that, to be honest. So um, that will heal up very soon, though. I'm sure it won't affect any of my sessions. And I had push yesterday, and that was fantastic too. Um, taking a PB on the incline press and the hammer strength incline, and my high incline dumbbell shoulder press is coming up too. So ultimately very happy with training. And then on Friday, uh, me and Danny go to Vienna. So for Danny's Christmas uh, slash Valentine's, I could guess, um, we are going to Vienna for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So we'll be training out of Das Gym for three days uh, with uh, Kevin and, and Valentin down there, Valentin Tambosi and, and Kevin Stutz. So I'm super looking forward to that. I'm also going to see one of my clients, Christian, 
who has just started with Team MBM and he's super excited to to see me. So um, that's super cool that I've got a client in Austria that I can go meet. Um, and generally, like life is good. Life is good. Business is busy, and uh, just generally, I'm I'm keeping well. So yeah, I'm very very happy. So let's crack into things. Four minutes and ten seconds into the podcast. So we're going to start with sets per muscle group. So how many sets should we be doing per muscle group? Um, and what are the sort of the upper thresholds? Now, the thing is, so sets per muscle group, it's a very individual number. Um, and everyone will know this, most people will know this. Um, so asking this sort of generic based question is, 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 is a factor of a multiple of variables. So how well can you recover? How well are you sleeping? How well are you managing your stresses? Um, how do you personally respond to volume can dictate how many sets you can do per muscle group? Um, obviously, you want to take some sort of guideline, and if you want to look at guidelines, you can look at the uh, Renaissance Periodization site, and they will give guidelines as to where people perform their sort of minimum effective dose, so their absolute bare minimum to, to make progress. And then obviously they'll have maintenance volume as well, so to maintain that level of tissue, not build it, not lose tissue, maintain it, and they'll have maximum. So the maximum you can recover from without running into recovery issues. And of course this is all dependent on the phase you're in as well. If you're dieting, if you're gaining, very, very different for, for each individual. So um, for, for that question, it is a very much an individual response. Um, and you've got to assess that throughout your career. You can't necessarily take on board, oh, okay, for like this week I could recover from this, this week I could recover from that. Um, you need to be very much auto-regulated in your approach to handling volume and whether you can do more, more or whether you can do less. Um, so be analytical, be critical, um, and then you'll get your feedback on that front. So next question. After my first competition, did I struggle with my body weight coming up? And is there any tips I've got mentally uh, for seeing my body weight rise? So after you're done competing, you've got to realize that to make forward momentum as an athlete, you have to see your body weight rise. You have to. So for me, I absolutely knew that for me to be a competitive lightweight bodybuilder, I needed to see my body weight rise. If my body weight stayed at 148, 150, stupidly light, I would not make a good lightweight bodybuilder. I would still be a, a junior bodybuilder. That's not the goal. So what's the next goal for you? If your goal has a prerequisite of more muscle mass, you must see your weight rise. So for that to be mentally like taken on board, you know that to take you to your next goal, you have to gain more body weight. It's like when you're playing like, so let's say you're playing like a Mario and Luigi, for example, and to jump to the next like little thing, like little level to get to complete this level, to complete the game, or playing like Crash Bandicoot or something like that, to jump, you have to press the button a certain amount of times to jump, fly in the air, and get to the next level. Like, you will press that the amount of times needed to get to that next level. If you pressed it once and you only jumped a certain amount of height, you wouldn't get to that next level. So when you're post-competition, think to jump to the next level, treat it like Mario, and you have to gain body weight. So it is a prerequisite. You have to do it. So that, to me, just switches off all this... Protally, uh, all this, all this mental issues. Like, 
I, I just, I, I have, yeah, I just have to do it. So for me to progress as an athlete, I just have to gain body weight. So I don't worry too much. Yes, losing condition is hard. Um, and, and sometimes it really does get to you. And like, I look at myself now and I even talk with some of my friends about this. Like I sometimes look at myself in the mirror and think, fuck, like I don't like the way I look. And it's, it's not so much my physique. It's more so like, I'm going to be brutally honest here. It's, it's like my face. I don't like the way my face looks when I'm gaining, so to speak, but I've got more and more used to it as I've started to push up. And I've also realized that there's far fucking worse things in your life than having a bit of a bloated face. Like, at the end of the day, yeah, I don't really like it, but do I really care? Nah, I don't really care because I'm strong. As I, I'm strong in the gym. I feel good day to day. Um, well, I feel good day to day. I sometimes feel like an absolute car crash, but I am ultimately, I, I know that the next time I diet down, I will have made progress. And that is all that I care about, really. Um, so, I, I, and, you know, like the people around you will still love you just as much, even if you do carry a little bit more body fat. So if you have true friends in your life, um, then they will just love you just the same. You know, like um, Danny's made it quite clear to me that she doesn't care if my face looks like, you know, some sort of, well, car crash. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like just treat, treat it as like, you know, you understand that this is part of the process. You've got to do it, get it done get a hoodie on, get in the gym, and train hard, all right? So I hope that makes sense. Um, the next question from Adam is one I'm gonna miss. Um, unfortunately, I won't be able to answer all the questions today. I am gonna keep this at an hour, but I've got like over 30 questions. So Adam, your question is silly, so I'm, not, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ignore that one. Um, end of fits, so skinny fat. I know you say commit, I've made a YouTube video on this, but how long do you need to commit to a gaining phase when you're skinny fat? So, the issue is there's various levels of skinny fat. You can be very, very, very skinny and have no muscle mass and look skinny fat. You can also be too fat and also be skinny. And at that point in time, bulking is a stupid idea because you're too fat to start gaining weight. Um, so, from that perspective, you'd have to kind of just lose some weight whilst also building some muscle because your energy resources are high because your body fat levels are very high. So your ability to build muscle whilst losing some body fat is there because you have super high body fat levels. Um, but for most people that are actually legit skinny fat, so they are skinny, they don't have much muscle, but they're also like soft, then committing to a gaining phase is key. Um, and if you truly are on the very low level of muscularity, you need to commit to this phase for probably up to 12 months, if not longer, if not up to 24 months, mm -hmm. with maybe some cleanups in between. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and what I mean by cleanups is just the occasional phase where you start to look at pulling back calories. Um, so doing a mini cut or something like that, absolutely key. Um, but don't get interrupted by these phases too much. Because I see a lot of people, I see a lot, a lot of people like get very caught up on mini cutting when they see a little bit of body fat come on. And it's something I talked about in previous podcasts, you know, like don't get carried away with mini cuts when you don't need them. Like some, some of these phases, especially for those that are in this skinny fat position, you need to get a little bit uncomfortable. 
and you will look a little bit shit to look actually 10 times better when you start to pull off the body fat the next time you start to come down. Okay, so just really think about playing the long game when it comes to to, to being in your position. Um, I hope that helps. Just be be in the be in a slightly less aggressive surplus. Um, so aim for a slower rate of gain, maybe zero point two five to zero point five pounds per week would be adequate, and just see your weight trickling up up and progressively overload like your life depends on it, and you will build a lot of tissue in that phase. Michael. What is the maximum amount of working sets that you do in a workout? Again, very similar question to the previous one. So maximum sets per workout. Again, this highly depends on your individual recovery capacity, but also depends on your current state. So for example, for a more advanced trainee, someone who's been training four to five years or plus, you can start to prioritize body parts. And at that point, maybe we need to look into working our weaker body parts up to the very high maximum amount of volume that they can handle and dropping some of our stronger body parts down to maybe maintenance or minimum effective volumes. And at that point, you'll prioritize and have more recovery demands for your stronger body parts. So again, this is a very individual, um, individual question in which it requires an individual answer. Um, the maximum amounts of, like, so for example, I might do, um, not per workout, but I might do per week, 24 to 25 sets for my arms. Now, now that's a lot of working sets uh, for biceps and triceps. I understand that. But the amount of volume that they can handle is extortionally high. It's a very, very small body part. They... Um, they incur a very small tax in terms of systemic fatigue. So you can hammer away, provided your intensity and execution is there, you can still hammer away at them. So for me, they're very high because I want my arms to grow because they're absolutely awful. So I go to the maximum amount of volume that I can possibly handle without starting to affect my pressing. Um, so that's for me. For you, it might be another body part that you might have to ramp up. If, for example, it's your quads, you can't take them as high as you would your biceps or triceps. They're a much larger muscle group. They incur a lot more systemic fatigue. So when we talk about systemic fatigue, we talk about whole body fatigue. We have acute fatigue in our uh, muscle group itself, and then we have the, the effect of training that muscle group that it has on the entire body that affects our next workout itself. So you have to really think about what body part it is and how you're working it up and why you're working it up in such high volumes. So I hope that makes sense, Michael. Hamza, uh, so another good question for Hamza. If you were a uni student, how would you balance your lifestyle with bodybuilding and work and uni? It's difficult, it's difficult, Hamza. Um, so it, it's not something that's necessarily easy, so to speak, balancing uni bodybuilding and a work but it's a system that you have to unfortunately look at prioritization so which of these is your main priority is it uni is it bodybuilding um, or is it work and ultimately for you at this stage it is going to be uni work bodybuilding is bodybuilding making you money is bodybuilding going to create a career for you it's probably not 
whilst it'd be absolutely fantastic to have it as a priority, that would be ultimately quite selfish for you at this point in time because you haven't built a career and you haven't made any money out of bodybuilding. So this might sound brutally honest, but it's the same for any of my clients that sort of talk to me and say, oh, I'm gonna skip work today or I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna pull out of college and I'm like, nah, 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 no, 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 no. That's not, that, that cannot happen because you haven't built your foundations yet. You know, so, so for me, when I was, my act of balancing was when I was working in retail and also doing college work, there was, there was times where I had to sacrifice the gym for both my retail work and college because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to afford food or supplements and I wouldn't have been able to actually uh, move on to where I wanted to do in like further education. Not that I did further education, but for me, I, I needed that guarantee that I was gonna get my qualifications in college. So for you at this stage, you've entered a, a, a uni degree, you have to finish this degree. Um, and that's gonna take some degree of being selfish towards that goal. In the future, you can certainly be more selfish towards the bodybuilding goal. But have your priorities sort of checked on that front, dude. Don't get your priorities messed up, because I see a lot of people do that, and they regret it. Reese, do you prefer a more aggressive approach or a more conservative approach when it comes to dieting? So this is a very, again, individual circumstance. Are we prepping? Are we doing a mini cut? What's the goal of this diet phase? Are we looking to remove body fat fast to get into a, another phase of pushing up calories and accruing tissue? Or are we trying to pull body fat down nice and slow so that we can end up on comp competition day with a maximum amount of muscle mass, getting fully contest ready? So for me, it is very dependent on the face. Um, if I wanted a more conservative approach, I'd go for something like 0.5 to maybe a maximum of 1% of our body weight per week lost. If I wanted a very aggressive approach, it'd be anywhere between 1% and potentially, depending on body fat levels, almost all the way up to 2% of body weight per week. Very much dependent on the individual, how heavy they are, and what the phase is trying to represent and do. Um, so really to sort of relate it to the phase, dude. Um, think about what we're trying to achieve with the phase um, and go from there. Um, but I don't prefer either or. I do what's necessary for the client in that specific moment in time. So there was a small question on setting up a chest-supported lap pull-down by yourself, but you don't have the machine. Uh, I don't actually know what you mean by that, Ola. So I know you're a member on the site, dude, so just message me about that one. So Kevin, are you ready to hit some PRs in Vienna? Uh, absolutely, yes I am, dude. Uh, I can't wait to train again with you um, in Das Gym. I think that it's one of the best environments that bodybuilders have ever had. Um, in terms of just the nostalgia and just the general place itself, it's, it's one of my favorites uh, ever. And just being around you guys and uh, for example, you, Kevin, who is gonna be someone that will absolutely rinse me on every single exercise, that is exactly what I need um, because I need someone that's going to basically show me what's possible, um, rinse me and, and beat me on absolutely everything, and then I can just continue to try and hunt you down by the time that you maybe finish contest prep, I might be a little bit closer to doing some things that you do. Um, maybe, we'll see, uh, maybe one day. Um, but yeah, I can't wait and we'll, for anyone watching, I'll be definitely getting lots of footage out in Vienna. Um, we were gonna have a videographer, but systems and the way that that worked out didn't quite 
work out so uh, we're going to get some content ourselves and, and definitely get it out there for you guys to watch either on the members site or putting some stuff on YouTube and, and Kevin's site too um, make sure you also check out uh, Kevin's clothing uh, Brutal Work Clothing it's a fantastic site full of really cool clothing so if you like bodybuilding clothing definitely check out that Christian so top five tips for a push-up phase. So he basically asked, what did I learn last year that helped me um, progress in body weight? Because obviously last year I spent the majority of it in a surplus. Um, I also uh, pushed up from body weight at the end of uh, 2017 of 146 all the way up until 184. Um, a lot of body weight, almost 40 pounds. Um, and I'm pretty much uh, 184, 185 now, because I obviously did the mini cut down to like 169, and then I'm all the way back up from 169 back up to 183, 184, and I'm continuing onwards um, until I look like a polar bear. But um, in terms of my tips, um, again, very similar to what I said earlier in the podcast with regards to I know what's going to take me to my next goal. Um, one that might help you here. So this is a conversation me and Danny had. So me and Danny were having the conversation about like coaches and whether whether it would be good for me to have a coach um, because Danny is basically getting back with one of her old coaches um, because she's not she feels like she's not selfish enough to give herself the time to coach herself, do her own programming, um, do her own training, do her own nutrition, and um, this is something that might help you, Christian. So what what I always have in my head, dude, and I say this with like a slight smirk on my face because I know how bad I want it and I know, I know exactly, I know exactly what I want. I, I can like literally put it in my head right now. I can envision it. I can see it so clearly. I know exactly what I want and I know exactly how I'm going to get it. That is so true. And I told Danny this when she said, do you think it would be good for you to have a coach? And maybe it would. Maybe I'd learn something. And I think that getting coaches can certainly help you learn. And this isn't answering a question, but it is kind of. But for me, like when I'm pushing up and I'm doing all my training and I'm doing all my nutrition, I know exactly what I want in the end in 2020 or 2021, whenever I next step up back on stage, I know exactly what I want and I know exactly how to get it. And that's exactly what I told Danny. And I told her it with such confidence. She was like, yeah, you don't need a coach. <laughs> um, because it, it, would, it would maybe teach me some things. But I know myself so well that, and my stubbornness and a lot of what I do in the gym with regards to movement selection, a lot of what I do outside of the gym with regards to my nutrition options and when I pull the plug and doing mini diet phases, which I only did one of last year and I'm aiming to do a maximum of one this year, if not ideally none, um, because I just I just know exactly what I what I want, dude. So for me, it's about setting vision and setting aspirations within the phase. So I will set ludicrous goals, like I will set stupid, stupid goals, like six plates on the Cybex hack, two twenty kilos squat for for ten reps. I I will set ludicrous goals and work relentlessly until I get them um, and and I, I will get them um, and you know that Christian like you know that listening to this you know I you know I'm the type of person that will get these kind of things and it's the same 
kind of mindset that I put into my business. Like I know exactly where I want my business to go and I know kind of pretty much how I'm gonna get it because I know what works. So once you know what works in a push-up phase, just absolutely fucking rinse it. Just keep doing it. So when you nail your sleep, when you nail your food, when you nail your training, keep fucking doing it. Don't change a thing. No, every single mistake that I've made in a push-up phase has been when I thought that I needed to change something or I needed to do something different. And this keeps bringing me back to the coaching thing. Like, why the hell would I get a coach when everything I'm doing is working? Like, there's no point. There's absolutely no point. Um, so, 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 for example, when, when if, if I've got a client come through to me, it's very rare that I get a client come through to me and say, everything is going fucking amazing. I'm gaining so much muscle or I'm losing so much fat. I need no help. If you need no help, why the hell are you asking for help? You know, so a lot of people come to you or will come to a coach with a rationale, a reason. Danny's reason, for example, she needs she needs someone to do a training on nutrition programming because she's not doing it. But if there's no reason to make a change, then don't change anything. So when you're pushing up and everything's going well, do not change anything. Don't move a move an inch. Keep doing what you're doing. And when it starts to scare you when those conventional pulls from the floor, which you've, you've implemented, when they start to scare the living daylights out of you, do, don't you dare pull them out. Don't you dare pull them out of your training program. Keep them in. Because those are the, those are the kind of sets that will be the sets that not many other people are doing. Because people pull out movements once they, when they, once they can't start to get hard. Trust me, I see it all the time. Even with very, very experienced individuals. And they use a rationale behind it, like creating too much systemic fatigue or it's making me feel tired day to day. Fantastic. That will show on stage. So, Jason, next question. 25.30. So, unilateral movements. Is there more, should we do more on one side if we're strong on, the, on one side? No. I think I answered this before, um, so sorry if I ever do cover any questions twice. Um, it's quite frequent questions. Um, I'll try and avoid that happening, but yeah, no. When you're stronger on one side, you do the stronger side, uh, sorry, you do the weaker side first, and then you do the stronger side and you match reps. So with unilateral work, unfortunately, it's gonna mean that one side maybe um, is, is stronger than the other, um, but to make sure that you're building a balanced and symmetrical physique, you need to do both sides with the same reps. So replicate what you did on the on the on the stronger side with the, sorry, replicate what you did with the weaker side on the stronger side. Weak side first, get the reps, strong side second, get the reps matched. And if anything, by doing the stronger side second, you maybe at some point will carry some accumulative fatigue into the stronger side, so it'll almost start to become matched. Um, and then the goal will obviously be trying to get your weaker side fixed from the perspective of trying to get it stronger, um, but also realizing that if there's any imbalances that are occurring, like serious ones, then you can definitely try and fix that um, with regards to unilateral training. You'll really identify whether one side is significantly weaker or stronger than the other with unilateral training. So I hope that makes sense. Next question, Matt. I train at 6 a.m. Would I still program a set to near failure and back off sets? Thanks, AJ. So this question kind of confuses me a lot because why should the time that you train dictate how hard you train? 
Um, so, for example, I know several people. Um, one of my clients, Connor, who's actually coming down. Well, he's already down. He's training tonight, and he's also training with me tomorrow. Um, we're training legs. Um, I know he trains super early in the morning. Super early in the morning. I have another one uh, well, of my friends. He's not a client. He's one of Callum's clients, uh, Matt Ratcliffe. He trains super early in the morning. And I know they both train very hard. So the ability to train hard just doesn't suddenly disappear at 6 a.m. Your body will start to adapt to that training time. So it will become your body's natural time to start to elicit all the things that it needs to elicit to get into a training state. So I would still program my training exactly the same if I was training at 6 a.m. Um, don't use any sort of form of, and I know that this sounds like I'm being a dick, and I'm sorry, Matt, if it does, but I'm just being honest. Um, don't use any sort of time as a cop-out to not train as effectively as you could. Um, of course, if you find that you're transitioning to a time of 6 a.m., and it's becoming somewhat difficult to transition to that time, then in that sense, maybe it's a case of programming some reps in reserve training whilst you transition, and then slowly upping your intensity whilst your body tries to adapt to that new training time. That, in my opinion, would be a feasible way to look at doing it. But for all intents and purposes, you need to train just as you would normally train at that time in the morning. Jason, online coach, uh, what's the purpose of one? And is there any pros and cons to having an online coach? So what is an online coach for? An online coach is for moving you in the right direction and making sure that you're fully accountable throughout that entire process. So for me, when I take on board a client, they need something. They need that accountability. They need further knowledge. They need an awareness of where they're at. They need direction. An online coach also offers a great degree of motivation for a lot of people. Um, not that people need motivation, but I tend to always have the importance of motivation as an aspect of my coaching because a lot of people don't have all the internal motivation in the world. So some degree of external motivation from a coach can help. So I, I believe that there's a lot of pros. You get accountability. You get structure, you get the huge weight off your shoulders, like Danny, for example, needs a coach in that situation. The weight off your shoulders of all your training programmed, all your nutrition programmed. And one good, amazing thing about having a coach is it saves you from making a million and one mistakes. Like a lot of the time, the reason why people um, need a coach is because they're changing things far too frequently and they're making far too many mistakes. Um, and, and not that not that so for example i'm going to use another example because i like using examples um george not that he does this but i have seen it before happen with him in the sense that sometimes he does like to change stuff he does like to change stuff sometimes so he'll get to a movement and it might not feel good and he'll change it and i know that there's a lot of us out there that are very much similar in the sense that we do want to change things when stuff doesn't feel good um and that's where a coach will tell you you need to just get on with it. And, you know, like George checked in today, um, we talked a lot about where he's at, but we also talked a lot about his mindset. Like, where his mindset's at? Like, is his mindset in a good spot? Could we improve it? And yeah, we can improve it. Because right now, he's being too complacent and not accepting of the what is actually, what the stuff he's doing well. Um, but also taking a negative mindset into his, some of his sessions. 
So a coach can also help you massively from a mindset point of view. So there's, there is so many things that a coach can offer you that, that, that are pros. Um, and I think more people should look at the investment side of coaching. Um, my friend Jack mentions this a lot when it comes to you know having consultations. He's reached the point of having plenty of consultations with pers- prospective clients, and some of which will say, oh, I'm not willing to invest that kind of money. And little do they realize how much value that a coach offers. A coach offers such a wide diversity of value to your life. You know, and it really does. You know, like, I, I don't want to blow smoke up my own ass, but there are situations in which I've had very meaningful conversations with clients from a mindset perspective. Perhaps it's dealing with the the, the loss of a loved one or these all these things affect physique development like all these things do affect physique development and you especially when you get communication with your clients on a frequent basis and you get to know them you're going to roll into these things you know you're going to roll into upset you're going to roll into um loads of different psychological things and, and big moments in their lives that you can help with um and i like to think that i have helped a lot of people in that instance um and a lot of people are potentially like having a bit of a life-changing experience with a coaching process um and i know that that sounds like i'm being a bit cocky but i'm I'm trying not to be because i don't like to be but it is a sense that a coach can can offer some sort of life-changing stuff um and if that's sending you in the right direction i would say that's just a fantastic thing to jason if you're looking out for one um then I'd, i'd highly consider going down that route and there's plenty of of fantastic coaches out there for you. Um, so, uh, <laughs> safe. Um, so, am I interested in learning more about assisted, um, assisted approaches to bodybuilding? Um, and do I think that I'll learn more about this from a, a client perspective? Um, it's a good question. Um, and I think that I would be open to admit that I would like to learn more. So, the reason why I'd like to learn more is because I, th- I like to think of myself as someone that will want to be in the future a coach that can literally coach any client, whether it's assisted or non-assisted. I think there's a lot better coaches out there, many better coaches out there to coach assisted athletes than me right now. But what I like to know is that I am pretty pretty good at what I do from a uh, an understanding of a relationship aspect and always open-minded enough to learn what I need to learn to apply myself to that client, whether situations with clients change, etc. Um, I am always willing and I'm always open-minded to learning more. So for me, absolutely, and I think the hormonal uh, processes at play with regards to assisted clients and learning more a bit about that can actually help when you're looking at hormonal situations in non-assisted clients. Um, because um, if you look at why some people go down the assisted route and the effects that that can have, you also look at the effect of um, potentially a natural client with low testosterone and why it can be such a poor effect on their system and their ability to grow. Um, and I have plenty of clients that know the exact effect and I've had plenty of clients get blood work done as a result. And if I hadn't have learned more about the effects of and the sides and the symptoms of this and low testosterone i wouldn't have ever started 
getting clients to do regular blood work. And I wouldn't have ever known and the importance of managing that process before we enter a hypercaloric phase. And to that, I thank all the clients that enlightened me on that process. So I am willing to be enlightened on as many processes as possible within bodybuilding, within assisted, within non-assisted. For me personally, if you were to ask my opinion on um, again, whether I'd go down the assisted route myself and whether I want to have the opportunity to coach more and more and more assisted, I'd say I'm way more heavily in the natural scene. I love the simplicity to a degree of the natural side of things and how it's basically manipulating caloric <laughs> caloric intake. It's manipulating training volume and intensity and it's managing the nervous system. It's managing sleep and other biofeedback and is relatively simplistic in its approach. Um, obviously, a lot of the, well, all of these things carry over into assisted. You've just got a, a load of other things on top of that that can affect things. Um, of course, I think it would deem to be more simplistic if I was to learn more about it. Um, but yeah, it's a very good question and one that I'm definitely willing to be open-minded on. Steven, so you ask about ab training frequency and volume. Good question. Um, I personally like to see abs done at a two to three time per week frequency. Uh, in terms of volume, I like to see three sets, three to four sets of anywhere between 12 and 15 reps. I find that lower repetition ab training just doesn't quite work so well because we're finding a difficulty in connecting, how, creating a mind-muscle connection to the abdominals. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's what I like. I like high repetition rep ranges. Um, I also like three to four sets, nothing super significant. Um, I like decline crunches. I like hanging leg raises. I like cable crunches. I like side oblique cable crunches. I do them a lot in contest prep. Um, I should do them more now. I used up the old age excuse of I'm doing a lot of beltless work, which yes, you will be training your abdominals in uh, beltless work because you're teaching yourself to brace with no brace against the belt. And I think that that weighs a, a large advantage on training your ability to use your abdominals in, in that situation and obviously use your erect as a stability, uh, as a stability um, option as well, as opposed to relying on a belt. Um, that's not to say that you should all do all your work beltless, but you should definitely learn to use your ability to brace naturally as opposed to relying on a belt all the time and building up potentially weak abdominal uh, abdominal muscles. Um, but yeah, that's the way that I like to train abs, Stephen. I hope that makes sense. So next question is head position on the RDL. So with regards to head position on the RDL, I think a lot of people maybe put too much emphasis on having to have it completely neutral. Um, and they worry and get super scared that they're going to affect um, spine neutrality in a massive way by having their neck slightly more upright. Um, I don't think there's anything to suggest that we're going to be causing a huge case for concern by having a little bit of neck or near neck flexion in an RDL. But I would say that to most people will find that they can engage and keep their scapula retracted and lock their upper back a little bit more easy when they keep their head neutral. A lot of people look up, they tend to forget about the cue of pocketing their elbows um, because they're dragging everything in the wrong direction. They're almost pulling themselves up into the lift as opposed to just sitting and locking. Um, so I would say wherever it feels most natural for you. Sometimes for me, it feels more natural to have a bit of a higher head placement and 
actually have some degree of neck flexion. Um, other times I like to keep my head more neutral. Um, so I would say if you can keep it neutral, maybe you, you will gain a little bit of safety out of this, but not a huge amount. Um, but I would say just go wherever is com comfortable for you and ultimately where is going to keep you the safest and, and most injury free. Liam. So you ask about how much muscle mass can I gain as a natural? I'm 155 pounds, I'm 10% body fat, I'm 5 foot 10. How much muscle mass can I achieve naturally? This is a un impossible question to answer, but one of which I'm going to try and go on a side tangent on. Don't limit yourself to any amount of muscle. Don't think I'm only going to gain this amount of muscle. Don't think, oh, the research says I can only gain a pound in a year. Don't think that. Like, don't think that. Are they doing the research study on you? Um, have they got enough of a genetic pool at play to be able to determine lean muscle mass gains over the course of time? Um, some of the study, studies are pretty solid in terms of the participants, um, but I'm not too sure as to how solid they are with regards to uh, training intensity comparatively to, to how hard some of us train and some of you listening to this. Um, and I'm not too sure how many of those participants were as religious and meticulous as we are with our nutrition training and our ability to manage our recovery outside of training. So for you, if you absolutely pour everything into your goal, you manage recovery, you manage your nervous system appropriately, you manage your food, you manage your training volume and intensity, you can accrue a lot more muscle than you probably think. And I just don't want people limiting themselves to a certain idea within their heads that they're only going to gain a certain amount of muscle per year. And that's deeply upsetting. Uh, makes me cry at night that people think that they can only gain a one pound of lean tissue per year. Um, so for me, do not limit yourself. Um, set stupid goals. And then at least if you come up short, you'll have still gained more than that one stupid pound. So... Yeah, and it also depends heavily on your training age. Of course, at the, the front end of your training career, you're going to be gaining more lean tissue. Um, it depends as to whether you're natural or assisted. Of course, if you're... Oh, sorry, yeah, you've already said you're natural. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, naturals will ultimately gain less lean tissue than assisted. Um, although, if you're a silly assisted person, there's probably naturals out there gaining more tissue than you if they're managing all their variables. Because ultimately, our most important tools and our most abundant tools for, for gaining tissue are are within our, our management of nutrition. And then of course our, our training and the productivity of it, you can't just put in put in assistance and expect yourself to grow if you're not training and, and appropriately situating your nutrition. So, you know, and I think that's still a, a misconception is that the, the people that are assisted are just getting more progress without having to nail their variables. And that's absolutely not fucking true. If you look at anyone that's nailing their variables and having assistance, the top of my head case study probably josh bridgman um someone who's very recently has in introduced assistance and he is growing like an absolute fucking weed but why and it's not necessarily just fundamentally down to the assistance of course it's made a difference but that guy has been nailing his variables since day one of being natural and that guy i know will do pretty much anything that someone tells him to do with regards to eating and training to get to his goal and that's the kind of relentless mindset that you need to maximally accrue tissue so if you've not got that mindset then i'm saying you will probably gain that stupid one pound a year that they'll say in the research studies but if you've got an elite mindset you will gain elite level of tissue cat 
on rest days, do you keep calories the same and do I do rest day steps? So I take a higher fat, lower carbohydrate approach on my current rest days. My calories do drop by about 300. Um, that is to equate for non-training. Um, I do, when I have the time availabilities, sometimes get in some steady state cardio if I have the recovery capacity to do so. Not always do I do though. Um, in terms of steps, I do like to still hit around about 5,000. Um, today I probably won't, for an example, because my leg is hurting and I need to give it rest. Um, but in normal situations, I will just get around about 5,000 steps. Um, also, my my general sort of calorie burn throughout the day isn't as low as someone who's just sitting on their arse because I am standing at this desk. I do stand at a desk all day. Um, so so the, my calorie burn is slightly higher. Therefore, a 300 calorie drop is appropriate for me. Um, the reason why I like higher fats, though, is because... I personally feel better throughout the day without a huge carbohydrate meal at any point before the evening. Like I like my last meal to be quite high in carbohydrates and before I go to bed, I just find that I sleep better off of that. Um, obviously, I'm having it a fairly decent time before I go to bed, but still I find the carbohydrate backloading approach on a rest day currently works for me. I've done different approaches, but for me, it currently works and I like it. Um, I also like the fact that I get to have a lot more fat on my rest day. Um, so my fats are currently on rest days are like up to 130 grams, which is a lot. That's a lot of fat, and it's a lot of nice fats as well. You know, from salmon, dark chocolate, nuts, nut butters, um, fattier cuts of beef, etc., which I just don't get to have on my training days. So for me, it gives dietary diversity, which I think is a super important thing that a lot of people overlook. So for me, that's why I like that rest day approach. It's not necessarily for everyone. Um, and it totally depends, and I made a video on the site today about that. It depends as to what you do. So do you do a job which demands more movement? If you do a job that demands more movement, let's say you're like you, like I know you're not, Cap, but let's say you're a bin man, for example, or even a PT. Let's say you're a PT. Let's not use the bin man example, Jesus Christ, AJ. Um, so let's use a PT. So you're a PT, you're on your feet all day, um, consuming a low carbohydrate, high fat rest day when you're on your feet all day as a PT. Yes, I mean, having higher fats might be cool because you'll give, again, di dietary diversity, but having super low carbs and high fats throughout a rest day for a PT is probably gonna make them feel like shit and probably going to affect their next training session. So you've just gotta think about what approach is gonna set up your next training session the best um, and then just apply that to yourself. Like I said, I made a more in-depth video on my member site for that. If you're, if you, if you want to sign up, it's four ninety nine sales plug, um, and uh, you can enjoy watching that video. Um, and maybe a more personalised response can come through the forums. So, uh, Kimmy asks about how to transition from a mini cut to a gaining phase. So, hey Kimmy, I hope you're good, man. I hope training's going well. Um, in terms of getting into a gaining phase after a mini cut, like I said in a previous podcast, you really do need to be quite assertive with this because the last thing you want to do is fucking waste time. Like just like the mini cut, you don't want to waste time in the mini cut because in the mini cut, the goal is to lose fat. So when you're done with the mini cut, guess what? The goal is to gain muscle. So you must confirm you're in a surplus. I think wasting time 
hovering at maintenance and hovering between this you know situation where you might be growing versus you're not growing is just an, a categoric waste of time so don't waste your time dude get yourself in a surplus make sure you're gaining sort of that 0.5 pound per week for someone like you would be fantastic you, you'll gain a little bit more in the first initial weeks through glycogen but then from that point onwards that 0.5 pound per week would be fantastic steadily eke yourself up and crack the hell on um, and get some muscle on you and that's the primary goal there Kian, so Kian asks about fiber um, what's the minimum amount of fiber that we should be having um, should we be having uh, uh, what, sh what should we be having basically so my general recommendations is at the very low end we should be having 14 grams per thousand, kilo uh, per thousand calories um, and then the very very top end I would say someone could be having something like 70 grams. But the, the, the thing is, this is again an individual response. So you may have some people that can have like categorically sky high amounts of fiber and see no real detriment in terms of digestion. You may see people that can only have a, a very low amount of fiber and see some issues. So for you, it's gonna be a response to stool quality um, a response to bloating, um, and that's basically it. Um, so, yeah, like just basically take response from your frequency of bowel movements, bloating, discomfort, as to whether your fiber is maybe too high um, or maybe too low. Like too much fiber can just be bad, just be as bad as too little. Too little, probably constipation. Too much, probably constipation. So you're probably going either side of, of creating poor bowel movements. So that middle ground will create regular bowel movements. For example, in the gaining phase, probably going to uh, having bowel movements twice daily, um, smooth, solid stools, um, and, and th that will be a, a good place to, to be. Um, so yeah, fantastic. I, I love talking about poo. Um, so next question comes about CBD. So what's my opinions on CBD? Uh, do I think it's just a fad? Do I think it can have some benefits? So again, I've already talked about the nervous system a little bit in this podcast. So when we're looking at flicking the switch and we're controlling the autonomic nervous system, so flicking the switch between a sympathetic dominant state into a parasympathetic calming supplements or any calming supplements can aid that process. So the control of this system is very integral for your recovery. Um, very integral for maximizing fat loss too. You know, being in a chronically stressed out environment is not going to do you any favors from a hormonal response to dieting. Again, just accruing more dieting stress, creating high levels of cortisol and creating a poor environment for fat loss to occur. The same environment of sympathetic dominance and high levels of cortisol is going to be very poor for muscle gain. So if we can do anything, and I mean anything, no strips, blue light blockers, well, not so much blue light blockers, they're more so for sleep, but still they help um, because sleep helps. Um, but so let's talk about some things. So magnesium, uh, supplements like ashwagandha, um, uh, doing some deep nasal breathing, nasal strips, listening to some binaural beats, um, chilling out with a like something like something relaxing from a music perspective. Um, Generally, just spending some time sitting down in your own company with silence. <laughs> um, all of these things can help transition you into that relaxed state and flick the switch, so to speak. 
Um, so I don't think it's a trend. I think that it's something that if you feel like it relaxes you and gives you benefit, it's a pro- it's a productive thing. Um, and there's something that we could all look to, to use. It is very expensive um, in most situations. But I think if you're willing to invest in your health and your ability to accrue tissue, then maybe it's something you should look into trying at least for a period of time to see whether you, you get a good response to it. Will, my powerlifting goals are unfortunately uh, non-existent. I, without sounding rude, I don't care what I could do for a one rep max. I just don't care. Um, I, I'd rather do something for 10 reps that's really cool than do something for one. The injury risk for me is just far too high. Um, uh, the motivation is low um, for pulling a one rep max for me or squatting a one rep max. And further to that, my bench is appalling. And I just don't want to do an archy powerlifting bench to just get some cool bench. Um, I'd rather do something impressive on the incline hammer uh, right now. My goals are so, so deeply relative to bodybuilding. I don't I don't care about powerlifting. I don't need an external I don't need anything else. I don't need any other motivation than just bodybuilding. Um I don't need a powerlifting meet to motivate me. I don't need a strongman meet to motivate me. I just need bodybuilding and that's fine. Um so Robbie carb front loading. So how to approach this? So funnily enough I I discussed this on a call with um pr- prospective client this morning. Um, talking about his current prep and his setup and we might work together in his off-season. The thing is, I don't really like carb front-loading too much because I think that if we're looking to create a peak week, we need to look at the the super compensation effect that we can can gain from back-loading. Yes, the risk element is higher, but the super compensation effect is large if you do it right. So if you deplete for a portion of the week and then refeed up with a couple of high days, maybe three or four high days, the super compensation effect will be fantastic. So that's something that I would really favor. A backload is a safer approach, but I'd prefer a progressive linear load over a backload. Uh, sorry, over a front load. Progressive linear load over a front load. Um, because the thing is, with a progressive linear load, you can add something like 25 to 50 grams of carbs per day. You can taper your carbs up. You can hit that point of fullness. At the point of hitting fullness, you can add in some dietary fats to start to hold that look and then tide you over all the way into the show, achieving a very similar look to that you have achieved by the time you started in adding in dietary fats to the diet to hold the look. Um, now, with a front load approach, you'd probably want to use a lot of refeed data throughout your prep to determine when you need to start the front load and when you look best. So for example, let's say you started the front load or you were refeeding on a Monday and a Tuesday and you found out you looked best on the Friday. So let's say it was a Saturday show, you'd refeed Tuesday, Wednesday, so you'd look best for Saturday after you'd had a period of low days. And that can work for some people, but I just am a huge fan of the linear progressive load, which is a really safe approach, um, popularized by Dr. Joe. Um, I, I just think that, that that approach just just works really, really well for most people. Um, it tends to be a low-stress approach as well because food's very similar throughout the week, so you're not having to like load up aggressively on the nights before the show in a different environment with buying food from the local Tesco, etc., and just stressing out about it. Um, so I think that that just works better. And ultimately, like reducing stress for the athlete in that moment of time is absolutely pivotal. 
So if we can do that via taking a more more systematic approach to peaking, then I think that's that's key. Um, so yeah, hope that covers that. In terms of my biggest mistake, so Neil uh, sort of asked my biggest mistake when it comes to coaching. Um, my biggest mistake when it comes to coaching, I think, in my opinion, was was taking off, biting off more than I could chew at some phases in in my coaching career, and I'm still at a phase where I think I'm sometimes biting off more than I can chew, and I'm working like very late at night, and sometimes sacrificing my own sleep, and then also sacrificing the quality of, of some of the stuff that I do, and I I don't like that at all. So for me, it's more a case now of making sure I absolutely prioritize quality over quantity. Um, so for you as a coach, please take that lesson on board and learn that quality is always more important than quantity. So don't take on more than you can chew. Um, don't bite more than you can chew uh, because it's just a case of you, it will always fall back on you. Um, it will always affect some part of your life. Um, and ultimately we're doing this for a higher quality of life and an enjoyable quality of life. So yeah, don't do something stupid. And, and also just when you need to say no to someone, say no to someone because it's important just to say no when you need to say no because that's that's pivotal in terms of taking on board good and effective clients. So um, then the next question, making a so kind of ask, like friends are asking like, can I make me a plan? And then they're not paying because they're shocked by the price. So the issue with this is that when you're starting coaching, people don't expect you to charge because the moment you're not looking like necessarily it's what you do for a living and what, what you do for a job. But to, you need to absolutely make sure that you make it clear that this is your livelihood or a part of your livelihood and you simply do not do a program for free. You know, and, and this is something huge for me as well when it comes to like people asking for my time or um, even Instagram DMs. Um, and like people will ask very specific, very personal questions with regards to their own training or nutrition that are actually basically me coaching them in a way. And I say no, I say no, I'm not answering because it's unfair. It's my time, it's my thought process that actually a lot of my paying clients are getting my response for. So there's a there's a real good borderline and boundary between what's free and what's not free. And programming is certainly not free. So whilst you might, might take on board some free clients at some point just to get yourself into things, I don't think that it's something you should um, you should just be doing. And then in terms of sort of like, you know, putting across the cost, dude, just remember to sell your value like what are you going to be doing them for? What are you going to be doing for them for the hundred pound a month? Give them so much value that they can't afford to say no, you know. And make sure that it's a, an investment that they want to make in themselves. And I think that that will be quite clear for them to see once they once they see what you can offer, regards to coaching. So, um, Cial, I think your name is pronounced. I'm sorry if I got that wrong. Um, you asked about artificial sweeteners, and then their effects on gut health. So I did a little bit of research into this. There are some research papers that do suggest that artificial sweeteners have a negative effect on the gut microbiome. Um, so if you really wanna maybe take that with a pinch of salt, um, because again, 
research studies don't dictate actual real life evidence every single time they they have an ounce of evidence but within the study itself there are things that can potentially be misconstrued or the objective and the data and the sort of the um, participants in the study can be very limited um, sometimes the data can be limited to obviously animal subjects etc and it could be different in humans um, but if my advice is that if, when we're looking at something like artificial sweetness if we're using an abundance of them most of the research would suggest that um, it's like it's like anything it's like anything using it excessively is a stupid idea so using artificial sweeteners excessively is probably not going to be healthy for you bottom line but using them in small quantities in efficacious doses will probably be fine for you it's probably not going to change much so i wouldn't avoid them like the plague because of one study um, i think all of the studies that have done that have been done into it from a generalistic health standpoint have proven it to be no worry in efficacious doses um, so yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't be the first one to be pulling out pulling out things like that um, so we'll take um, we'll take two more questions. So I'm going to take James's question on advice for switching categories. So this is at one hour. So I will say that James, so for you, for example, you are switching from men's physique to hopefully bodybuilding. Um, and my advice for you, dude, is that you just need to keep doing what you're doing because you're doing a fantastic job. Um, when it comes to switching the category itself, you need to make sure that you are absolutely nailing the fundamentals of that category jump. So for you, it's the posing aspect of bodybuilding. You know you're switching to a bodybuilding class. You now have far more poses than four poses. So you have to nail each and every one of them. You've currently nailed your side tricep. Why? Because I've helped you. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, seriously, you've done a good job at that. Um, so it's about now maximizing every single other pose so that you are displaying all your strong points and hiding the fuck out of your weak points. Which for you actually on your physique, you haven't got many weak points. Um, so for, for you it's really about displaying how balanced and proportional you are and making sure that you have confidence with all poses on stage. And that starts now, do not wait, start now. Because you'll, you'll wish you started now when you're into prep and you're tired as fuck and you wish you ingrained those poses which now if you did do them now you'll practice until you literally can't get it wrong and then that is perfect and that's where you want to be cool um so final question on the difference between sorry i'm going to answer the uh one from callum on training with assisted reps and the balance between fatigue and the hypertrophic response that we're going to get so with assisted reps the issue is um, we're going to create a lot of fatigue from doing so. So if we were to do assisted reps on every single body part, we'd create so much systemic fatigue that our ability to overload that next workout would be low. So for, for you in this individual moment, we've got to think about where we're using assisted reps and using them as an intensity method. So just like we use them, we use drop sets, supersets, triple drop sets, muscle rounds, just like we use all these other intensity methods, a... A, a set like that is an intensity method. You know, a set a set where we essentially take things beyond where they're meant to go is an intensity method. So we have to t treat it with caution and we have to be prepared to um, use it only on potentially weaker areas of our physique. 
um, and only in, in a specific moment in time as well. So when our recovery capacity is high enough to be able to respond to it. Um, if we're in a dieted state, adding in assisted reps is probably a very much a re uh, short track ticket to creating a bunch of fatigue that you won't be able to recover from and seeing a detriment in your next session. Seeing regress numbers, regress, regress numbers and a drop off in muscle mass as a result of not being able to retain your performance. So for you at this moment in time, you could probably do assisted reps on some body parts, but make sure that we're very much in tune with our own recovery capacity to be able to determine which body parts we can do them on and have a rationale. So for a weak body part, we can do assisted reps. For a strong body part, why the hell are we creating all the fatigue um, for potentially a very small return in hypertrophic stimulus? Hope that answers your question, dude. I'm gonna leave that there for this week, guys, because otherwise my brain will officially explode. Um, I hope this has been a good episode again of the solo podcast. Um, please leave your thoughts and reviews below. Please like DM me telling you what telling me what you thought. If you thought it was a particularly good one this week, let me know that you enjoyed it. Um, I'll really look forward to seeing you next week. I'll be back from Vienna and I'll be able to share my thoughts on that. Perhaps me and Danny will even do another one soon. But for now, from AJ's notepad and my pen, it's over and out. And thanks again for listening. Cheers, guys. Goodbye.